want to welcome you guys to church today. Thank you so much, uh, worship team. Um, if you're in this room or if you're watching online, we're so, we're so thankful that you are here. We're honored to spend this time with you. Um, we are starting a brand new four-part series today. It's been a while. Uh, through the summer, it's really difficult to kind of string these series together. Um, but today, we'll be, be starting a four-part series. And the series is called, as you can see on screen, Prodigal. Prodigal. So as you see this screen, you probably already know what we're going to talk about. A very, very famous story in teaching in the Bible, in the book of Luke, the parable of the prodigal son. Now, we're going to spend four weeks on this one story. And this, this one story is in Luke chapter 15. It's about 20 verses, but we're going to dedicate four entire weeks, four separate sermons to dive into this message. Now, you might be thinking, that's strange. I've, I know this story. You know, if you grew up in church, you know the story, and you're probably familiar with it, and you're like, I think I know what it's about. Why would we need to dive into it for four weeks? Like, I get it. It's a great story, and it's really nice, and it feels good. And, but is it really that, is there really that much there? And I, I want to share with you guys that this story, this parable, there is so much depth to this story that so many of us have no idea how powerful this story is and what Jesus is really doing in this story. It is possible, and maybe you've had this experience in your own life, where you thought you knew something about something, you were so sure about it, and then something comes along and you realize that you were totally wrong. That, like, that moment where you're like, oh, wow. You know, maybe you've had that experience. I had that experience uh, this week, actually, um, where there was something that I knew I thought I knew 100% and then my mind was blown because I realized that I was completely wrong. And those experiences sometimes are hard, but sometimes they're really exciting when you get this brand new, like mind blown experience. And, and it's silly, it's not a huge deal, but I wanna start there. It has to do with possibly the, the most famous video game of all time. Now, you're probably trying to figure out what that is. What is probably the most famous video game of all time. Let me shout it out. What do you think is the most famous video game of all time? Roblox. Roblox? Oh, that's a good one. But yeah, the answer is Super Mario Brothers. This is Mario. Everyone know Mario? Right? Everyone knows Mario, right? Young and old, everybody, right? There are some things that I know that our kids don't know. Or Pastor John doesn't know because we're so, the age gap is just too crazy. But everyone knows Super Mario, right? The, the beloved Italian plumber who saves the Mushroom Kingdom. He's in love with Princess Peach. His brother is Luigi. Come on, everyone knows this story, right? Whether you're young, whether you're old, no matter where you live, you know this guy. And um, even though you may not have played Super Mario, you probably, and maybe not everybody, but probably many of you know his catchphrase. Like his, his thing that he says, right? You guys know what it is? Anyone want to shout it out? All right, I'll do it. It's to me, Mario. Right? That's his thing. That's the thing he says. When they show him, he goes, it's to me, Mario. In, there, in that, you know, wonderful Italian accent. It's to me. And I have to do this with my hand. It's to me, Mario. That is, that is his phrase. And I knew this. I was like, Dad, that's what he says. That's his thing. And then I learned something about Mario. And I learned something about his catchphrase. And I realized I was totally wrong. See, we think he's saying, it's a me, Mario, in this Italian accent. What he's actually saying is, now, before, before we go into this, we all understand that Mario was not made by Italians. We know that, right? 
It was made by Nintendo, which was a Japanese company. So Mario, the Italian plumber, was created by a Japanese video game company. He's not saying, it's a me, Mario. He's saying, Itsumi, Mario. A Japanese word that sounds like, it's a me. It's Itsumi, Mario. And here's where my mind was blown. Itsumi in Japanese means super. <laughs> it means great, stupendous. So actually what he's saying the whole time when we thought he was saying, it's a me, Mario, he's just saying, Super Mario, like that's just his name. And I was like, boom, when I learned this, I was like, that's crazy. I had no idea. I was 100% sure he was saying, it's a me Mario, but he's just saying, hey, Super Mario here. Right? Uh, this, this moment when you, you, you are so sure of something, you're like, wow, I was completely wrong. I want us to understand that that's what I'm hoping we're going to have as we enter into this series prodigal. Because for you, if you grew up in church, you know this story. And as, as I'm even introducing this message, you're thinking, I probably know where he's going to go with this story. I think he's going to talk about this, and he's going to go into the forgiveness, and the grace, and acceptance, and the Father's love. And I've heard this, and it's beautiful, and it's wonderful, but like, come on, Give me something new. Give me something different. The prodigal son, seriously? I, again, I want you to understand that there is a depth and richness to this story that many of us have not uncovered. And there is actually an amazing amount of practicality in the story of the prodigal son that will affect and can impact your life now, but also it will impact your life in the future. And if you are a parent, it'll impact and change the way you communicate to your children what you want from them. And that is the really challenging part. See, because this story is more than just a Hallmark movie feel-good story. It's more than just a nice story where, where, where Jesus says something and teaches us about God's love to make us feel good. Because remember, Jesus is not telling a story. Jesus is teaching here. He is sitting before an audience and he's teaching. And I want you guys to understand, Jesus does not teach fluff. He doesn't teach just things to make people feel good. He always has a purpose and a depth of truth that he's communicating in his teaching. And if you have thought of the prodigal son's story as just something to make you feel better or feel good, you are missing the point. And so today, as we begin this series, we're going to discover what is, what really is the point of the prodigal son. And in the next couple of weeks, we're going to dig deep, we're going to unpack it, and see the depths of that story there. So with, will you guys pray with me now as we enter into this message? Father in heaven, thank you, Lord, for challenging us, giving us minds, giving us brains to think and analyze and understand. Father, I give this time to you. Only you can come and affect us the way we need to be affected today. In your name we pray. Amen. Now, for this story, it's very important that you know this story. For this sermon series, it's important that you know this story. And the story is about 20 verses long. And I'm going to read the whole thing right now, but I'm not going to read it again for the rest of the series because it takes so much time. So I'm going to read it once through all 20 verses. So just stay with me. If you're online, just stick with me. Let's get through the story so everyone is on the same page. Because some of you, you may not have grown up with this story. You may not have grown up in church, and this may be the first time you're hearing it. And if you are, I'm so jealous because you get to experience this beautiful story 
the, for the first time and you get to experience what it's really about without all the other things that so many of us have heard over the last, over the many years of our lives. So um, here's the story in Luke chapter 15, starting from verse 11. So stick with me. To illustrate the point further, Jesus told them this story. A man had two sons. The younger son told his father, I want my share of your estate now before you die. So his father agreed to divide his wealth between his sons. A few days later, this younger son packed all his belongings and moved to a distant land, and there he wasted all his money in wild living. About the time his money ran out, a great famine swept over the land, and he began to starve. He persuaded a local farmer to hire him, and the man sent him into his fields to feed the pigs. Gross. The young man became so hungry that even the pods he was feeding to the pigs looked good to him, but no one gave him anything. When he finally came to his senses, he said to himself, at home, even the hired servants have food enough to spare, and here I am dying of hunger. I will go home to my father and say, Father, I have sinned against both heaven and you, and I am no longer worthy of being called your son. Please take me on as a hired servant. So he returned home to his father. It starts where it starts getting real beautiful. And while he was still a long way off, his father saw him coming. Filled with love and compassion, he ran to his son, embraced him, and kissed him. His son said to him, Father, I have sinned against both heaven and you. I am no longer worthy of being called your son. But his father said to the servants, quick, bring the finest robe in the house and put it on him. Uh, get a ring for his finger and sandals for his feet and kill the calf we've been fattening. We must celebrate with a feast. For this son of mine was dead and has now returned to life. He was lost, but now he is found. So the party began. There's more. Meanwhile, the older son was in the fields working. When he returned home, he heard the music and the dancing in the house, and he asked one of the servants, what was going on? Your brother is back, he, told, he was told, and your father has killed the fattened calf. We are celebrating because of his safe return. The older brother was angry and wouldn't go in. His father came out and begged him, but he replied, all these years I've slaved for you. And never once refused to do a single thing you told me to. And in all that time, you never gave me even one young goat for a feast with my friends. Yet when this son of yours comes back after squandering your money on prostitutes, you celebrate by killing the fattened calf? His father said to him, look, dear son, you have always stayed by me. And everything I have is yours. We had to celebrate this happy day for your brother was dead and has come back to life. He was lost but now he is found. That's the story. All right, thanks for sticking with me through all those verses. What a beautiful story, though. Right? But the question that we're going to be dealing with today is, what is the point of this story? What is really the point of the story? What is Jesus trying to say? What is he trying to communicate in the story? When, when you hear this story, I think the first assumption is that well, we're, we talk about, like, one of the main characters in this story is the younger son who, who, who runs away, takes all the money, lives wildly, and, and, and messes up, and does all this stuff, and it's terrible, and it's horrible, and he's like the black sheep, and, and everyone's rejected him, and then he comes back home, and then his father runs to him, hugs him, kisses him, and accepts him into, back into the home. So, so when, we, when you read this story, that kind of makes sense. It seems like the point is the younger brother. The point is the younger brother that... that 
When we sin and when we mess up and no matter how far we go, like we can go to a distant land and live life terribly and make all these mistakes, we can come back home and even if we're just like the worst of the worst, the Father will accept us. And that is so, so beautiful. But that is not the point of this story. Many of us grew up thinking, yeah, that is the point of the story. But I'm here to tell you, that's actually not the point of the story. And that's a good thing. It is a good thing that the point of the story is not the younger brother. Why? Because many of you, either now or growing up, you heard this, and you were thinking, wow, that's nice. And that's beautiful. But many of you heard that, and nothing changed in your life. It was like, that's a really nice, feel-good story, and you just went on living. I just went on living. I maybe felt warm in that moment and felt loved, but nothing really changed. Why is that? Why is it that this amazing, beautiful story of God's love and unconditional love did nothing for me, except maybe stir my heart a little bit, but change nothing in my life? And the reason, I think, is because the real reaction that we have, and we really wouldn't say this, but the real reaction for us as we read the story, for many of you, and, and I know some of you actually are not in this place, so we're going to get to that. But many people, what we're really thinking is, that's nice, but that's not me. And that's why this story, even though it feels good, does very little for you. And does not inspire any change in your life. Because it's a nice story, but I'm not the younger brother. Like, I would never do that. I would never run away from my family of origin, take all my stuff, and go crazy. And do all these crazy things. And live life in this crazy way. I would, I would never do that. And so, like, yeah, it's a nice story, but that's just not really my experience. And many of you guys, that has not been your experience. So no wonder this does nothing for you. You haven't lived life like that. And so when you hear the story, it's like when you hear a crazy testimony. You know, you go to church or a meeting or something, and someone tells a story about how they lived a terrible life. They went to prison or did all these terrible things, but they found Jesus. The reaction all of us have is, that's nice. That's awesome. That's beautiful. But that's not me. So I can't actually really relate. As inspiring as your story is, I can't relate to that story. That's not me, and that probably will never, ever be me. And to be honest, as your pastor who loves you and cares about you, part of me is like, I don't want you to go through that kind of stuff, right? Maybe you've heard these stories, and you're like, I wish I could get to the end part where you love Jesus without going through all that other stuff. And I, like, I don't really want that for you. I want you to love Jesus without all the pain. I, I do want that. And when you think about your children and your kids, if you have kids, you probably think the same thing. You want them to love God and love church and do all that stuff, but you don't want them to like go out and be drug dealers and drug addicts and you know, have a life like that. You want them to have a good life that's happy and easy and then they love Jesus in it. Like That's what we want. And so we hear this story and it does nothing for us and it's a good thing. That the point is not the younger brother, because if it was, then we'd be all in trouble, because we're like not, not getting it at all. Okay, so if the younger brother is not the point, then what is the point? We can start getting to the truth of the story as we look at the very beginning of Luke chapter 15. Not the story we read, but at the very beginning, Luke chapter 15, verses 1 and 2. It says, tax collectors and other notorious sinners often came to listen to Jesus teach. 
This made the Pharisees and teachers of the religious law complain that he was associating with such sinful people, even eating with them. All right, so this is the context. So Jesus is teaching the story, but this is who he's talking to. These are the people around him, these tax collectors, these notorious sinners, but also the Pharisees and the teachers of the law. And they're very upset because Jesus is not just hanging out with them, but he's eating with them. And in that culture at that time, eating equaled accepting. If you ate with someone, if you invited someone at your table, you accepted them and you accepted what they did and you approved of it is the message you're sending. I associate people with people that I approve of. So for Jesus to eat with these guys, he was sending a message, according to the Pharisees, that he accepts these people and all the sinful bad things that they're doing. And so he hears this and he knows that this is what people are thinking. So Jesus starts a trilogy in Luke chapter 15. And so the, the parable of the prodigal son is really the third in a trilogy. He's actually telling three stories. It's the story of the lost sheep in verses 4 to 7, the lost coin in verses 8 to 10, and the lost son, verses 11 to 32, which we just read. And so as we think about the context, we're like, ah, you get it now, right? The point is not the younger brother. The point is, ah, it's the older brother. And that we can relate to a little bit more, right? Because if we're honest, we're probably like, yeah, I can kind of be like that older brother sometimes. I can be a little bit judgy. I can be a little bit closed-minded. I can be a little bit like, oh, you shouldn't do that. And you're kind of, because you did that, you know, I, I get that. And so the point, ah, the point is the older brother is we can't be uh, hypocritical, we can't be judgmental, we should be open to people, and if people come to Jesus, we should open up our arms and, 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 and welcome them, no matter what they've done, no matter how long they've done it for. That's the point of the story. The older brother is the point of the story. Perfect, I get that. Again, that's not the point of the story. The younger brother and the older brother, these things are true. And one of the things I want you to understand, those are a point of the story. Those are points in the story, but they are not the point of the story. Okay, so hopefully you're thoroughly confused in this moment. But maybe not, because there's one more character, right? Obviously, if the point is not the younger brother and the point is not the older brother, the point is the father. Duh, obviously the point is God, that he's so loving and he's so kind and he's so accepting and he's so gracious. But I have news for you. Believe it or not, even the father is not the point of the story. The younger son is not the point, the older son is not the point, and the father is not the point. That's crazy, right? Because how can God's love not be the point of this story? It's not. It is not the point of the story. See, what Jesus is doing here is he's brilliantly teaching something that is so practical and relevant to the people in that moment. And actually, when we step back and think about it, it is so amazingly practical and real for all of us even today. It's not just about the characteristics of these groups of people. Now, you're right if you're thinking, ah, okay, the, the tax collectors and the notorious sinners, they're kind of like the younger brother. The, the Pharisees and the teachers of the law, they're kind of like the older brother. Like that, if you're thinking that, that, that grouping, you're right. You're on the right track. But what Jesus is not doing is he's not trying to say, this is what the bad people are like. And this is what the supposed good people are like. And this is what God is like. And this is how life is. That's not what he's doing here. 
What Jesus is doing in this story is he's taking these three characters that symbolize three very important groups or individuals, and he interweaves their life to tell a story and to make a point. What he is really doing is Jesus is presenting two different worldviews that have the same goal. Let me say that one more time. What Jesus is doing with this, this family, this dysfunctional family, the younger brother and the older brother, through them he is presenting two different world's views that have the exact same goal. Let me unpack this a little bit more. The younger brother represents a certain perspective and worldview, lifestyle, and way of life. The older brother represents a perspective, a worldview, a way of seeing things, and a way of life that comes from that. And he's showing these two very different perspectives, different ways of life, and he's communicating to everybody, they actually are the same. And we're going to unpack that next week, much more about how they're exactly the same. But they both have the same goal. What is that goal? What do the older brother and what do the younger brother really want in this story? They just, like so many people at that time and even us, they just want to be happy. The younger brother thinks, I can be happy if I go and do whatever I want to do, get a bunch of money and live life however I want, then I'll be happy. The older brother thinks, I'll be happy if I stay and work hard here. That's my way of being happy. Jesus is presenting two very different worldviews that have the same, same goal. But that's not the point. We're going to get to the point at the end. We're still teasing it up. We're still building it up. So Jesus is presenting these two worldviews that have the exact same goal. Let me explain and unpack what those worldviews are. Now, what's difficult is that some of us fit into these categories. And I'm going to start with the first one that I think is most relevant for all of us. And because of that, it's going to be challenging. All right, the older brother. Let's start with the older brother. What kind of life does the older brother represent? It's not hypo hypocritical you know, it's not judgmental. It's not that. Nobody wants that. No one thinks that if I'm judgmental, that'll lead to happiness. Nobody thinks that. But he's presenting, there is a way that the older brother lives. He thinks this is going to make him happy. And we're going to call it moral conformity. Moral conformity. If I do good things and I am a good person, then I will be happy in life. You probably think that. If you are good, it'll lead to good things and you will be happy. The best way kind of phrase to understand what moral conformity is, is be good. Be good and eventually you'll be happy. And even if bad things happen now, God will bless you eventually. Remember, these are the Pharisees and the teachers of the law. They believed they were God's chosen people. The Israelites were God's chosen people. But the problem the problem, the reason why they're, they're run by Rome, the reason why they've, they've been conquered by all these nations is not because, not because, uh, uh, because of those guys. The problem is them. See, they believe that we are God's chosen people, but because we've disobeyed, God has brought punishment upon us and judgment upon us. And you know what? They're not totally wrong. But they have this thinking. So if that's the problem, if the reason we are conquered by Rome is because we disobeyed, then what's the solution? Obedience. Then if we are faithful and if we obey God and do the right thing, God will bless us and he'll get rid of the Romans and we will have peace and stability and fulfillment and we will finally be happy. And that's the story of Israel. And so as much as we like, don't like the Pharisees and the teachers of the law, they had really good intentions. See, they believed that the solution to all the pain of the nation was 
obedience. And so the problem with the world was that there's all these people who are not being obedient. And that's why they're so mean. And that's why they're like, you got to do this and this and this and this. Because, like, it's not just your life. It's the entire nation that is at stake because you keep trying to do whatever you want to do. That's the problem with the world is these, like, free-spirited people who just do whatever they want. So we got to get in line. It's not about what I want. It's about what God wants. And that sounds really right and really good. And it's not about what I want, it's about what the community of faith has deemed this is right, so I gotta live this way. This is the mentality of many immigrant families. It's not really about what you want, like you have a dream? What do you mean dream? Who cares about dreams? You need to get a job, right? You, 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 our parents come from a different country and they, they, they come with $2 in their pockets to build a life. They don't care that you have a dream. You gotta make a life for yourself and your family. That's what you gotta do. And yeah, you want to be a ballerina? Too bad. Go to medical school. You know what I mean? There's, what do you mean? Right, that's the mentality of moral conformity. Be good, right? And so, so this is how the Pharisees saw life. We got to get everyone in line. And then, I know, I know it's hard, but then people will be happy. We'll have everything we've ever wanted. Just, we got to obey, man. Now, this is so much of how we are. And this is where it's going to get a little bit touchy. See, I think what, what we have most, mostly in the church the, is the Christian American dream. Right? The Christian American dream. Like, what's the goal in life? What is the goal that, that you've been striving for in your life? What is the goal that you want your children to strive for in their life? It's some version of this formula. If you have money and you go to church, and you have a family, then you will be happy. This is the Christian American dream. I used to call it the Korean American dream, but I realized it's, more, it's much broader. It's not just Korean Americans. This is the Christian American dream. You got to have money. That's the first thing. This is a very specific order, by the way. You got to have money. Then you got to go to church. And we're not talking about relationship with Jesus. We're talking about church attendance here. If you have money and you regularly attend church and you have a family, you got kids and stuff, then you are happy. That's the road to happiness. This is the roadmap to happiness. And this is why it's touchy. Many of you, including myself, we've lived this. And the only way to get money and a family, church not so much, is like you gotta be good. You gotta study. You can't just do whatever you want. You gotta, you gotta buckle down. You gotta study instead of going out. You gotta read and you gotta do all the good things, get the good scores, and then you'll get a good job, and then you have a, a good career and a good life, and then you can get a family, because no one's gonna want you if you don't have that, right? So you gotta work hard. It doesn't matter what you want, just be good, do the right thing. Then you'll get a job, then you'll have money, then you'll have family, go to church. Perfect. That is the life you want. And whether you know it or not, in many ways, I bet we're pushing that message to our children as well. This is happiness. Money, church, family. If you're missing any one of these things, you probably won't be that happy. So this is the message of the Pharisees. This is the message of moral conformity. And I need you to evaluate where you are. Have you bought into this? Have you dedicated your life to this? Are you living this? If so, 
then like so many of us, your mentality has been, just be good. Do the right thing, and I'll be happy. The second brother, the younger brother, he represents a very different way of life that some of you I know have lived at one point in time in your life, and it's the, val- it's the, 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 the perspective of self-discovery. So moral conformity versus self-discovery. Self-discovery, the best way to describe this, the younger brother, is just be me. Be me. The other one was be good. This one is be me. I got to do what makes me happy. I have to be true to myself. I have to work. I have, I have to do what I need to do to be, to be myself, to do the things that I love, what I care about. That's the most important thing. I get that family is important. Community of faith is important. Tradition is important. But at the end of the day, what is most important is I just got to do me. I just got to be me. All right, this is the message that, that is pushed really strongly right now in our time and culture now, right? You got to follow your dreams, which is, a good, which is a good thing. You got to do those things. Then you will be really happy. And so the other formula was, was, was it money, church, family equals happy. In self-discovery, it's really just me plus me plus me equals happy, <laughs> right? Yeah, I don't want to go to church today. I'm just going to go do something else. No, that's way more fun. I don't really want to get that job. I don't really want to work there. There's no meaning. I don't really feel ownership. I don't really feel fulfillment. I'll do this other thing that, you know, I'm not really going to get paid, but, you know, I can live in my parents' house, and I just, like, you know, mooch, and, you know, I'll be fine. And eventually, I'll be happy. I, I'm going to go on vacation. I don't got money, but I'm going to go on vacation and figure stuff out. And I'll, I'll go into debt, but it's okay. It's about the moment. It's about the experiences. And, and if I just really am true to myself then I'll be happy, right? That's the message of, I've talked about this before, like every Disney movie of all time, right? Just be true to yourself. Just do, it doesn't matter what your parents say. It doesn't matter what the community says. Just be true to yourself. Follow your heart. Follow your dreams and then you'll be happy, right? This is the younger brother. My dream is to not work on this farm anymore. My dream is to go to that land and meet those girls and have those experiences and eat those things and drink those things. Then I will be happy. So what Jesus is doing is he's not talking about the character of these groups. He's talking about the way of life, the perspectives, and the attitudes of these two different ways of life. Now remember, the interesting thing is both of these have the same exact goal. They just have two different ways of going about it. So as we get to the point, we're nearing to the point of the whole story. We're getting there, okay? So the question that leads us to the main point of the prodigal son is this. As you think about the two brothers, ask this question. Who is lost. As you think about younger brother and older brother, who is actually lost? When you read the story, obviously younger brother's lost. Goes out, does all these crazy things, he's hungry, he's starving, he wants to eat pig food. That's pretty much lost, right? Like that's rock, rock bottom. But think about the older brother. Is he also lost? If you think about this story, Both sons have been disconnected from the father. Both sons are away from the home. One son is off living some crazy life in some distant land, and the brother, he's in the field. He won't even go into the party to celebrate. He also, as you you think about the conversation he has with the father, there's obviously a relational problem between the father and the older son. The older son harbors bitterness and resentment towards the father, who is lost. In this story. As you think about that now, we're getting to the point. The real point of the prodigal son is that both ways of life lead to lostness. 
If you choose moral conformity, be good, do the right thing, work hard, study, then I'll be happy. Make sure you get, get enough money, earn enough money, go to church, have a family, then I'll be happy. Jesus is saying even that life can lead to lostness. The other one, kind of like, yeah, obviously, if you just live so selfishly and do whatever you want to do, you will also be lost. But Jesus, as he's presenting this story, he says, both ways of life lead to lostness. And I know that word lostness, like maybe that doesn't have a lot of meaning for you. I think another way to, to, to phrase that is that both ways of life lead to emptiness. The Christian American dream that many of us have lived so, have worked so hard for, it can lead to a life of emptiness. Just because you have money, go to church every Sabbath, and have a family, it doesn't mean you will be fulfilled. And when you put all your eggs in that basket, it leads you to a point where you don't understand why you feel lost, why you feel empty, why, some, why you are struggling with depression and anxiety. You don't get it. I thought this was the roadmap. That was the dream, and I have all of those things, but for some reason, I'm lost, and I'm and if you live a life of self-discovery where it's just me, 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 you may, you may be happy for a moment and it may be really fun for a moment, but there's going to be a time where you're going to sit and wake up and say, what, what am I doing? I am lost and I am empty. This is the point of the prodigal son. That both ways of life that so many of us choose can lead to lostness and emptiness. So the question we have to ask ourselves as we begin this series is, where am I? Which group am I in? I might be living in moral conformity camp, but I have this self-discovery in me, and it's starting to grow. And I want to rebel against the moral conformity. I feel that coming up. Or maybe you've lived a life of, of, of the self-discovery. I think about a couple of people in our church who had some of those experiences and they kind of came back. They grew up in the church and they're like, you know what, that's not for me. I'm going to live out in the world. I'm going to do all these things. And then you came back. It's easy then to flip-flop and then go now into a world of moral conformity. I'm not going to do that. I'm just going to do good, be good. I got to do the right thing all the time. Then I'll be happy. Then God will bless me. But that way of thinking, both ways of thinking, Jesus is saying, will lead to emptiness and losses. Now, there are some of you guys who are like, wait a minute. I live that Christian American dream. I'm in it right now. I got money. I go to church and I have a family. And actually, I'm very happy. I'm very fulfilled in my life. And it's great and it's wonderful. What do you mean it's empty? What do you mean it leads to lostness? I'm good. I would argue, for those of you who feel that way, I would argue the reason you feel fulfilled and happy in life is not because of money, church, and family. There is something else in there that has led to your satisfaction and fulfillment. And what, that's what we're going to discover through this series. So if these both ways can, can be wrong, if both ways can lead to a life of emptiness, what is the other way? Jesus is presenting that in the story. There is another way that is different than the way of the older brother and the younger brother. He said, let me show you that way. The reason why you are happy is not because you come to church every single week. No. The reason you are happy is not because you have a lot of money. No, 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 no. 
Let's make no mistake. The reason you are happy and fulfilled is not because you have kids and because you have a spouse and, and because you have the, that, that perfect nuclear family. That's not why you're happy. There's something else. What is that thing? What is that thing? That's what we're going to learn in this series. But we first must realize that many of us live in the older brother mentality. And many of us live wanting the younger brother life. Once we can establish where we are, we can, we'll be ready to understand the other way. So I want to invite you guys, as we enter into the story of the prodigal son, like I said, it's so much deeper than just God loves you and makes you feel good. And even if you're bad, God forgives you. It's so much more than that. It is so practical. It is so real. And it can change the way you evaluate and are living your life in the moment. And especially the, the, the want and the desires that you have for your family and for your children. So for the next few weeks, we're going to dive deeper into this story. Next week, we're going to talk about how is it that both of these ways can lead to lostness. Because like self-discovery, I get it. Right? Being selfish, living for yourself, doing whatever you want. I could see how that could lead to emptiness and lostness. But being good, following the rules, following God's law, how could that lead to a life of lostness and emptiness? That's what we're going to discover next week. So I want you guys to join me. If you can't be here next week or the next few weeks, join us online on YouTube. Listen to our podcast because each message is going to build off each other. And you really got to be here for each one. So I want to invite you guys back as we enter into this story, as we allow God to blow our minds with this story, this amazing, beautiful teaching called the parable of the prodigal son. Let's pray. Father in heaven, thank you, Lord, for challenging us. Lord, we think we know so much, but we know so little, Father. We think we are so sure on what things mean in Scripture. We're so sure about how this is how life is. We're so sure about this is what will bring happiness to my life. But God, we need to wake up because some of those things, some of those thoughts, some of those ideas are totally, totally wrong. And it's leading us into a life of lostness and emptiness. Lord, as we begin this journey into the story of the prodigal son, reveal to us the depths and riches of this story. And Father, I pray that we would be changed. I pray that we would speak differently because of it. I pray that we would act differently because of it. And I pray that through the power of the Holy Spirit, we would be different because of it. Thank you, Jesus, for speaking to us today. In your name we pray.